You are live with Get Connected. Mike Agarbo here in studio today. Our show is all about the world of technology, making it fun, and maybe inspiring you a bit to uh, get more involved uh, with tech in your life. We've got a great program uh, this week. We're going to be talking online security, uh, different types of cyber fraud to watch out for, and especially, you know, for parents out there, uh, we're going to be going through some tips on how to, uh, I guess, uh, fraud-proof your your kids online uh, as well. Uh, Plus, uh, we're going to be talking with the folks over at MasterCard and uh, how they see AI happening uh, over the next uh, couple years. And finally, uh, this is my favorite, the folks from iRobot. I love robots. And uh, they're going to be talking about their new uh, J9 series of uh, vacuum robots and ones that have uh, built-in mopping as well, which is pretty cool. Uh, I've got a great guest with me right now because I, I want to dive into the big Apple announcement this week. They have uh, announced new watches and phones. We've got Mark Salzman on the line from Toronto. Thanks for joining me, Mark. Of course, Mike. Thanks for having me on. You're on the A-list, so you actually get to go down to uh, Cupertino to uh, to see the launch uh, and, and see Tim Cook. Yeah, I don't know about that, about being on the A-list, but yeah, it's it's kind of cool to go there in person and be part of that unveiling you know it was a 90 minute keynote or whatever presentation but unlike the previous apple events from years ago especially those with steve jobs it's not really like live live yes tim cook comes out but then they roll this like beautifully polished video and the benefit there i guess is that everybody at home can watch uh the same have this same experience that i did sitting in the seat at the uh apple park steve jobs theater but it does. It, it kind of lacks some of that excitement because it's not truly live, where everybody comes out on stage and has to do like a live demo or something. So little could go wrong when it's all pre-recorded. But at least it's like nicely polished. And 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 the bottom line is that you get a sense of what is new, which is why everybody is there, whether you're watching at home or there in person. But it's kind of neat to be part of the action. Let's get right into it. Uh, new iPhones. Uh, I think that was uh, expected. Uh, the iPhone 15 and the 15 uh, Pro. Uh, first initial thoughts uh, on on these? Yeah, so four new iPhones made its debut. The iPhone 15, the 15 Plus, uh, so 6.1 inches, 6.7 inches. And then on the Pro side, yeah, the iPhone 15 Pro and Pro Max. And same, same sizes, 6.1, 6.7, just a, a little bit more power under the hood and more camera features. So across the board, impressive like every year. But if you have an iPhone 14, you're probably fine to just hold on to that for now. You know, there's no reason, I think, to upgrade, but still quite impressive. So uh, uh, ticking all the boxes, so as we expected, they're making the move from a lightning connector to USB-C, which is more of a universal standard, of course. The European Euro- Union has uh, mandated that all consumer electronics products sold in Europe by fall of 2024 must have that standardized port, which is better for the consumer, I guess, because it costs less. You can use that cable between all of your devices, whether they be Apple or, or non-Apple devices. And uh, it's better for the environment because you're not buying a proprietary like lightning cable that can only be used for one device. And then if that cable breaks or if you don't have iPhone anymore, you can't use that cable for anything else. So so USB-C across the board. You can also do neat things, by the way, like charge up your AirPods through your iPhone, like with one cable or your Apple Watch because they're all adopting that standard port. The second thing on all iPhone 15s is that dynamic island, which is at the top of the phone. Only last year's Pro models had this. So this is basically an interactive little display that gives you some information based on the app that you've got open. And you don't even have to have that app maximized. So for example, you're waiting for your Uber and you could see at the top of the screen 
you know, a little car icon as to like how close it's coming, like how close it's getting to you and how much longer you have to wait. Or you can see like little album art in there and then you tap it for a deeper dive. So I kind of like that. And now everybody gets it. Uh, on the pro models, like better cameras, as you would expect, including a new five times telephoto lens on the pro max model. So being able to capture more detail from farther distances or being able to crop and zoom in on a photo without losing much integrity. Um, you know, yes, still trailing some other phones, but there's some other computational photography tricks and, and all that and, and new 35 millimeter mode and all that, that is elevating iPhone more than it has in the past. So if you're a uh, photography or videography fan, you'll like those pro models, titanium, uh, material. So not only is it more durable, says Apple compared to the stainless steel models of yesteryear, but much lighter. And that was noticeable because I got hands on time with the uh, iPhone 15 right after the event. And I was pretty surprised how light these new phones are. And then finally, replacing the mute toggle button on the left side of the pro model of iPhone is now a more multi-purpose, if you will, action button. Similar to the Apple Watch Ultra has an action button on the side. You can program what that little button does. So you can press and hold that button to launch your flashlight, to launch your voice recorder, to snap a photo, to mute your phone if you still want that. And in, I like that it's customizable, more versatile, and that's on the iPhone Pro. So across the board, yeah, very impressive. The best iPhones that Apple has ever created, of course. But if you are like, you know, rocking an iPhone 14 or a 13, probably, you know, it's best to wait another year or two. So if you're more into the whole video and photography world, it might be worth an upgrade if you've got some of the latest uh, iPhones you're basically saying. But if, you know, you're kind of happy with what you got right now, it, there's not like a huge reason. Yeah, again, I'll say that if you have an iPhone 14 Pro, I say this every year. Yeah, these are the best iPhones that Apple has ever made. And they're packing a lot into it without question. But to justify the expense to truly notice a jump up in quality and features from what you've got today, I don't think you should upgrade every year. That's just my two cents. If you've got the budget and you like being the first among your friend group to have the latest and greatest, then fine. But I think if you've got, you know, an iPhone 10 or 11, you're going to notice a huge jump if you go to the 15s. So that, that's my two cents. And I, that's, I feel the same way about Apple Watch. Yeah, the Apple Watch Series 9, very impressive, uh, as well as the Apple Watch Ultra 2 for those outdoor adventurers who want a bigger and more durable display and brighter uh, screens. You know, now it's 3000 nits, which is twice as bright as the last one. So you can read your watch in harsh sunlight. And I love that new double tap gesture, Mike, if you, if you saw that online. So I, for I did, yeah. Apple watches. Yeah, all you have to do is um, double tap your forefinger and your thumb together in order to do something on your watch, like hang up a call or to answer a call or to... Um, snap a photo on a nearby iPhone, like it serves kind of as a shutter if you want, or you can launch a timer. Again, you get to program what that gesture does, but not only is it faster and more convenient by doing that quick double tap, but for those who have maybe dexterity challenges, you know, from an accessibility standpoint, it can be hard to tap a small little icon on a tiny watch to hang up a call. You know, we take it for granted, but if you're, you maybe you have Parkinson's, for example, it's not easy. So now you just have to double tap your finger and thumb together and it'll do those tasks for you. So I like that. So that's on both new Apple Watch models. 
Been talking with Mark Salzman about some of the new Apple uh, gear announced uh, this week. Uh, Mark, I want to thank you for joining us on the program uh, as always. And uh, we'll have you on again to go through some more uh, details in the coming weeks. Uh, when we come back from the break, more tech to talk. We'll uh, be uh, telling you about the latest cyber scams. Uh, and there's some new ones that you need to know about and how to avoid them. Back after this. You were back with the program, Mike Agarbo here in studio. Well, it is back to school time, and uh, also October is coming, yes, quickly. Uh, and that's uh, like cybersecurity month. And I wanted to get uh, an expert on the line to, to talk about uh, security, online security and uh, cyber fraud, especially when it comes to uh, the back to school time frame, you know, and children, uh, I know there's a lot of parents that uh, listen. And uh, of course, they're always worried about uh, their kids uh, online and how to protect them. Uh, we've got a great guest uh, from TELUS. Uh, her name is Lee Tynan, and uh, she's going to help walk through some of the things to look out for. Thanks for uh, joining us. Thank you so much for having me. So it, it is it is a big problem, isn't it? Like I'm inundated with junk all the time through email and text and WhatsApp, uh, you know, constantly trying to get at me and my personal information um, and, and really trying to actually make a personal connection, which is kind of scary. And when I think about that, I then think about children as well. And, you know, do they have the tools to to navigate that, that kind of uh, kind of stuff? Absolutely. Like when you, I think the bottom line piece is understanding that cybercrime is on the rise. Right, it is big business that's often tied to organized crime, and it's well funded. It is concerning, you know. You brought up AI, and uh, you know we talk a lot about the positive things of uh, AI, but um, another thing you mentioned, uh, cyber fraud. It is a criminal enterprise. There is organized crime behind this, so they're putting in resources to to really go uh, after people. And AI is obviously a, a tool that they're using as well, so that they can personalize uh, these uh, attacks uh, even further. What are some of the most common scams uh, targeting Canadians? Oh, there are so many. Um, so if we were to set this, there's actually a top uh, top 10 list that the Canadian Anti-Fraud Centre has, and I would encourage you to link that for your listeners. But some of them um, include spear phishing. So this is when a fraudster poses as a trusted source, right? And they're trying to convince you to divulge your confidential data. Sometimes we give away our own data way too easily. Um, and, and as I was saying, it used to be easy to see that when it came through an email or a text, it had spelling errors or, you know, a, a Nigerian prince wanting to give you money. Right? <laughs> but that isn't how it is anymore. They're far more sophisticated. And we actually see that within social media because it offers prime opportunities for phishing um, where the fraudster can actually create a Facebook profile that looks like your friend. They they easily can can um, skim off photos and and make you think you're actually talking to your friend, and they try to convince you to share in private information, um, and and we are quite often too trusting. So you know, spear phishing can really get at that. They make you think you're talking to your friend, and they get you to give information. Um, another one that I find really scary because it's it it makes you question everything is shopping scams. And they're, they're fraudulent websites. And what you see happening is fraudsters actually set up lookalike websites, and we often spell something wrong um, in, in our searches. And, and so they set up these websites, and they're for brands that you know. And they actually create legitimacy by driving to, uh, you know, by driving to these legitimate companies, and then they change it. And, and so now you're on their site thinking it is legitimate, 
and they're offering really low cost items. Could be school supplies, could be clothing, could be anything. And so you actually go through the buy flow in these shopping sites, enter your credit card information and complete your purchase. But the item you ordered never arrives, right? So the scammers have your credit card information. They've got your money and they now use that to rack up unauthorized purchases. Um, and then the classic is really around personal information scams where you know we get these phone calls or emails or texts that are from leg- or what appear to be from legitimate businesses or government agencies or banks, even the utility companies. And they ask you to verify your personal information or they tell you that your account has been compromised to click here to reset your password and, and, and such. So they may request your information, your name, your address, your birth date. Um, and once you provide that information, they now have the information they need to impersonate. So, I, you know, you just touched on, I think, three there. I mean, it, the list goes on and on. But how can parents uh, set their children up for success to, to make sure that they're aware of, of these types of scams? The, the guidance that I would offer to parents, but it's actually to anyone, right, is we all need to educate ourselves. So taking the time to educate your kids, to be wary, to not trust things. I have two, you know, teenage and now early 20, uh, 20 year old daughter, and I'm constantly talking to them about not trusting. If something seems too good to be true, it generally is. Um, and so we got to look at our behavior. You know, when we think about um, our our assets or our things. We don't leave our homes without locking our doors. We ride a bike, we lock it up. Our car is the same thing. We need to begin thinking about our own identity the same way. It is our most valuable possession and we got to take steps to to actually be more safe. Uh, Tell Us Wise is a free digital literacy education program that offers informa- informative workshops and resources for Canadians of all ages they even include helping parents talk to kids about, you know, digital safety. Um, but beyond that, there are simple tips that everyone needs to think about. So when you're talking to your kids about setting up and, and ourselves, honestly, setting up websites or as they create um, create identities for, for their logins or even gaming things, right? We need to every single time create unique and complex passwords for every single login that we're creating. Um, the reason that matters is if a site is impacted, it's that site that has your information. But 75% of us use the same login and password across every single site we have. And what that does is it creates exponential vulnerabilities because when information is compromised, they then run those uni- your, your name and passwords through a whole bunch of different sites and, and gain far more information and access. Another simple thing is embracing two-factor authentication. Whether you're a child or an adult, everyone gets frustrated with additional additional um, barriers into accessing their information or getting into sites. And we need to actually recognize that those are for our own safety. Um, two-factor authentication, make sure that someone just has your 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 password and login. It's not enough. They need that second um, that second authentication. So it's a good thing. It's there to help you. Don't fight it. Really embrace it. Uh, password managers are other great ways to help remember all these unique and complex passwords. The reason we reuse them is because there's so many and it, it's complicated. Um, another thing would be VPNs, right? Um, particularly when you're using public Wi-Fi, we often see kids they, we, we clamor to public Wi-Fi because maybe they don't have data on their phone or it's limited data. 
And so public Wi-Fi is a gift. It's, it's a wonderful thing, um, but it is just that it's public. So making sure that we are using additional um, you know, safeguards like a VPN, which provides kind of that secured, uh, secured tunnel for our information and really avoid sharing any sensitive information when you're on public Wi-Fi. You want to be behind your own kind of Wi-Fi network with that encrypted password, which then is kind of that next one, right? Making sure that our networks are actually uh, password protected and they're not simple things and don't share them and and make sure that, that you're staying safe. Um, a simple thing for, again, children and adults alike, you know, hopefully children from a social media perspective have very limited um, limited exposure. But when you're thinking about teenagers, they absolutely do. Um, lock down your privacy settings. Make sure that you are being really careful who you let in. You'll be vigilant and question anything that you're not expecting. Um, even if someone you do know and sends you stuff, maybe double check that they have sent you before you click on those links. Um, making sure you're monitoring your financial accounts and looking for anything that's unauthorized. I encourage everyone to do a dark web scan. Um, part of what's happening is we don't actually know when our information has been compromised because it's happening through businesses or organizations that we engage with. So be proactive and actually do a dark web scan. We offer one for free, um, telus.com slash dark web to try and make this easy and encourage everyone to do it. Um, the first step to knowing that you have been impacted or, or you know, recovering your identity is actually knowing that you have been impacted. So take, be proactive. And I think the key thing is it, everyone, all these steps seem overwhelming. And one of the things that we do um, from, you know, tell us online security is we're trying to make it easy and safe. So taking that step to have a proactive service that provides the device protection, password manager, VPN, but goes beyond that into um, the protection. Uh, so we proactively monitor the dark web. We offer full service identity, um, identity support, reimbursement coverage. And, you know, you can do all these things yourselves and I would encourage everyone to start doing them. But for as little as $10 a month, we actually make cyber safety easy. We're talking with Lee Tynan from TELUS all about online security and how to uh, avoid cyber fraud. I want to thank you for joining us today. And these were some fantastic tips. I hope our, our listeners even uh, can remember, uh, you know, two or three of these uh, because they're all super important. And uh, I want to wish you the best with uh, helping uh, Canadians uh, protect themselves. Th thanks again for joining us, Lee. Thank you so much. When we come back from the break, we still have a lot to talk about, including the latest vacuuming robots. iRobots come out with some new robots that can vacuum and mop your floor at the same time. Back after this. We're back with the program. Mike Yagerbo here in studio. We're going to uh, dive into generative AI uh, once again. Obviously, that's uh, a growing topic uh, in the world. We've got a really interesting guest with us. His name is Daryl McMullen. He is uh, with uh, MasterCard, and uh, they've come out with a, a report called their Signals Report uh, that uh, dives into generative AI and how it uh, kind of uh, is getting into the, uh, I guess, the whole financial sector, uh, banking. Thanks for joining us, Daryl. Great to be here, Mike. I think I kind of summed it up uh, very quickly uh, there, but what was the purpose of, uh, of doing this, this report, Daryl? Yeah, well, it's, I mean, it's an interesting point in time, right? I think things like um, AI in general is an incredibly emerging field. 
that will end up being a layer of intelligence uh, that will affect almost everything we do. And we're, we're been lucky in our lifetime to go through a few of these cycles, right? Whether it be the internet, whether that be mobile, whether that be cloud. I see AI as another seismic shift uh, where it's one of those times in technology where we can bring a, a whole bunch of new capabilities and along with it, a bunch of new benefits from it. How are you taking advantage of this? Yeah, so it's it's a great question. So I think the the part of it is uh, at our core. Obviously, you could think of Mastercard as um, processing uh, millions of transactions around the world at any given time. If you think um, both, there's a kind of two different ways of looking at AI. There's the diagnostic side. What capabilities does AI have in diagnosing vast amounts of data um, to be able to siphon together and and get uh, information or answers? Probably more quickly, maybe how to relate and what it actually means. So the way I kind of think of it is, you know, what traditional search engines are to information, you go to the, the internet and whether it's your Google or any other search engine, you have tons of information that you can uh, sit through. Taking it a step further, if you think of search engines are like a library, right? Uh, AI acts as your study partner. So it continually, you can ask it questions and it refines answers, almost like in a back and forth conversation where it processes and has access to all of the information and is able to decipher down, come up with diagnostic answers and predictive answers. So from a MasterCard standpoint, when we're looking at tons of data and our digital lives and lots of transactions that are happening, is this Daryl doing this transaction? Is Daryl located in this country? Is this the type of transaction Daryl does? Has Daryl intersected with that merchant or that person he's sending money to before? Is there something that's changed in the device that he's using to access his information? There's there's thousands of different um, data elements that go into the uh, diagnostic review of any transaction that happens online. And, and MasterCard is essentially bringing a lot of those capabilities together to help uh, payments companies, banks, uh, merchants, and consumers. We're talking with the folks over at MasterCard uh, about uh, generative AI and how that's uh, impacting our future in, in so many uh, different ways. Uh, Daryl, I know a lot of small business owners uh, listen to this uh, program as well. Uh, what kind yeah. of opportunities are out there for them? Yeah, so small businesses, um, they've evolved over the last several years to becoming more increasingly digital. I think COVID probably helped accelerate that in some ways. Uh, more and more people have some sort of a gig economy or creator economy um, side gig in some ways or another. Um, AI helps uh, and becomes an invaluable tool for supporting uh, entrepreneurs and small businesses by adding knowledge, uh, essentially knowledge workers to their team, right? I've seen some people almost have digital finance assistance or digital marketing assistance to be able to build campaigns or build letters or build capable efficient way. Now, I, I will say I'm not suggesting it in any way, shape or form that AI is God over the gospel, but it is definitely guides that make it a lot more efficient for small businesses to do a lot of tasks when, when time is kind of of the essence. Um, but it's not just for small businesses, large businesses as well, who have a, a lot of information. Um, how do they disseminate that at the retail level? We're starting to see AI have a, a greater impact on providing more tailored experiences for consumers. Um, I even tend to notice that the ads that are targeted towards me are actually much more relevant 
than even two, three years ago to the point I'm actually watching the ads. <laughs> so they're, they're becoming more tailored. The messaging's become more tailored and more curated. And I think there's going to be some sectors that will start getting impacted even more and more. You know, if you think of the life cycle of a travel, many years ago, we would have a travel agent that we'd go to to book travel. The internet kind of changed it where it became a little bit more of a self-service model. But AI is actually bringing the circle back where you actually have like a virtual travel agent. Um, I, I would suggest the next time you want to try using ChatGPT or other, other solution, ask it uh, how to book a, a, a your next vacation. And it's incredible the answers you get back. Uh, I just did that last night where I was um, planning a trip with some friends to Scotland. And in less than two minutes, I had an entire itinerary planned out that was incredibly efficient. I've tried that too. Actually, it's it's amazing at uh, how how good it is at uh, spitting out those uh, those travel itineraries. So um, it's something you know for the listeners out there. You, you've got to try it. It's uh, it's very very uh, helpful. Um, what about uh, personal shopping? What are we seeing there? I mean, everyone uh, has probably seen the early versions of shopping bots or or the like. They were kind of interesting experiments at first, but I think as People have an ongoing relationship with a retailer or retailers that they deal with on a regular basis, or they know what their styles are and their sizes are, whether that be in clothing or whether their uh, likes are in electronics or any other sort of category. There's ways to start building a persona that actually that shopping bot is able to find the right relevant uh, offerings for you and provide the right relevant of suggestions. Sometimes that's very direct and sometimes that's almost like at a subconscious level. And you've seen that on sites like, um, you know, large merchant sites like Amazons of the world where if you've liked this, you may like that. Um, those things have gotten much more tailored over time and continue to do so. I have to ask about um, privacy and security. Uh, you know, as I learn more and more about uh, generative AI, it, it, it exists and functions so well because it's able to use huge amounts of, uh, of data. Uh, we're seeing some of these stories in, in the news uh, of, you know, for example, uh, actors and comedians and authors, uh, you know, they're suing OpenAI, the people behind uh, ChatGPT, because they say that uh, it ingested a lot of their uh, proprietary content. So when I'd make that next leap over to like my private banking information, you know, how concerned should I be that, you know, generative AI is like sucking up all that data as well? Yeah, it's a great question. So, you know, as organizations assess how to implement generative AI, they need to kind of balance the desire to move fast and seize an early adopter advantage with a cautious approach that navigates numerous threats and potential risks. Um, transparency is key uh, for when it comes to uh, your information what information is being shared, to whom, and for what purpose. There's certainly benefit, like you touched on on banks. I think of things like financial wealth management, being able to look at your entire financial picture, whether you have bank accounts and insurance and, and uh, other brokerage accounts across multiple different companies. How can AI help disseminate a better picture for financial planning? That can be useful, but to your point, you also have to be um, prudent on how that data is managed, where it's shared, where it's stored, and and um, uh, and for what purpose it's being used versus the specific request that you have. So when it comes to governance uh, and structures around that, Canadian government's actually doing quite a good job on, on building out frameworks uh, that needs to happen. Um, 
we at MasterCard, uh, I would say, are one of the leading companies globally around privacy, data, and security, um, and being able to have the right kind of trust framework in place in order for these capabilities to be used uh, in a safe and secure way. So people won't be able to type in my name and, and find out all my banking information into ChatGPT. Correct. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. You shouldn't be, you shouldn't be having your private information all of a sudden publicized. We've been talking with Daryl McMullen. He is a senior vice president of product and platform over at uh, MasterCard. They have a new uh, signals report. Uh, can people find this uh, information and, and have a look at this report? It, it sounds fascinating. But yeah, it is uh, publicly available. Uh, I think you, you just type in MasterCard signals report and generative AI or commerce in the age of generative AI. Uh, and you'll find that online uh, on the MasterCard website. Uh, it's a pretty a pretty good outline just understanding what generative AI is because I think a lot of people are still just trying to learn what it actually is. And again, it's kind of like early days of cloud and early days of mobile and early days of internet. People didn't understand the uh, the infrastructure capabilities on what it is. It wasn't until they saw like Spotify and Netflix and Uber or the applications that sit on top of this infrastructure that actually have a benefit to their everyday lives where they start seeing the value in it. And so we'll start seeing a hyper growth area on, on AI in a lot of these categories. Thanks again for joining us, Daryl. Thank you, sir. Anytime. When we come back from the break, more tech to talk. Stay tuned. Back after this. You are back with the program. Mike Agarbo here in studio. Uh, I get to talk about one of my favorite things now, robots. And uh, we have uh, a great guest on the line. He, his name is Warren Fernandez. He is with uh, iRobot, the folks that make Roombas. I think uh, Roomba is probably synonymous, synonymous uh, with uh, robot vacuum cleaners out there, kind of like the Kleenex of uh, robot uh, vacuums. I've got three in my home, and uh, I don't think I could live without them now. Thanks for joining us, Warren. Thank you, Mike, for having me. Uh, happy to be here. It's an interesting question I get a lot from uh, from people, uh, from friends and, and, and also listeners. You know, are these robot vacuums uh, any good? Well, you guys have been around for a number of years now. I've been using your uh, robots for a number of years. And I, I can say, yes, uh, they they do a fantastic job. And I just love how automatic uh, everything is. Uh, you guys have some new robots out. Excited to be announcing this month our newest line of flagship robots. Uh, it's the J9 series, and we've got two robots in that family. We have a two-in-one combo J9 Plus product. So if you're a customer and you're interested in that two-in-one vacuuming and mopping experience, this is going to be our most powerful, most intelligent robot to date. Um, but if you're a customer that simply wants a, a vacuum uh, and maybe you don't need that mopping experience, we've got a sibling flagship robot, which is going to be the Roomba J9+. Plus. There is competition out in this space. There's a number of different robot vacuums, but what what would set yours apart? Like you can pick up some of these things for like, you know, $150 now, but like what's, what is the difference between one of those, you know, bottom entry ones and like the, the iRobot Roombas? And so when we specifically think about, let's say, the J9 series of flagship robots, why would you want to consider those? My, my simple answer is going to be, if you want the smartest, most capable cleaning robot in the industry, whether it is a vacuum specialized robot or a two-in-one that also mops, um, we believe that you're going to want to consider our products. And again, we've got our customers' backs when it comes to things such as not only the best-in-class hardware and software, but even things such as the customer support, right? So su such as the pet owner official promise, that we rather cheekily call, you know, poop, P-O-O-P, 
Um, that is something that we introduced in 2021. Nobody else in the industry offers it. And again, to your question around, okay, why might you want to consider iRobot as opposed to another company out there? We believe if you're looking for the, the really high quality, reliable, long-term experience with your robot, uh, we, we, we would love to have your, your, your listeners consider us. You brought up a good, uh, good point there. Objects, uh, object detection and, and even things, I know this sounds crazy, but poop, you do not want your robot vacuum going over poop or getting tangled up in, in other objects, which, um, I, I found like, cause I've tested out some of these other brands that don't have object detection and, it is a night and day difference, you know, because I found like these other lesser ones uh, would get tangled up in things uh, a lot, whereas yours would just know not to go there. Here at iRobot, we actually, we measure a number of, of uh, pieces of data, not only for our own products, but really all of the robot uh, top competitors out there in the industry. And one term that you may hear us reference, Mike, is uh, the notion of mission completion rates, right? So the idea that as a robot, number one, it not only needs to do a great job of cleaning, but it needs to be able to clean reliably, which means each and every time that you're sending it on a mission, clean your home, is it in fact completing the mission, coming back to its stock safely and successfully? And during the mission, is it knowing what to avoid versus what to clean, right? So we, uh, with our vision-based uh, object detection and avoidance, we recognize over 80 common household objects. That's absolutely class-leading performance. And equally important, we not only have that very long list of objects that we know to avoid, which is going to include things not only as, you know, such as pet waste, but let's say cords, cables, uh, socks, pet toys, things, you know, common objects you might expect to see on the floor. We're going to actually also know what you should clean up. So for instance, some of the other robots out there in the industry, uh, they are going to potentially see something in front of them and not know, am I looking at, let's say, uh, a pile of pet waste or a pile of popcorn? And, and having the intelligence to differentiate between those two and say, you know what, the pet waste, absolutely want to avoid it. And again, with a Roomba product, our J9 series, as well as our J7 series already in the market, should an unforeseen accident occur, you've got our guarantee that we will give you a new robot. Um, if we call it the pet owner official promise. And again, nobody else in the industry is going to be able to offer that. The, the combo version. Uh, so the combo version will not only vacuum, but will also mop. Uh, the floors as well. And explain to the listeners how that works, because some folks have, uh, you know, hardwood or laminate or, or, you know, what have you, but they also have carpets on that floor too. Like, is it going to start mopping my carpet? I'm, I, it's a, it's a great question, to be honest. And it's something that we've thought about a lot and we put so much engineering and design work into our solution. So the notion here is you need to have a robot first and foremost, that can reliably clean your entire home, which means it needs to be able to vacuum all surfaces in your home, hard floors and carpets and rugs alike. But it needs to very specifically only mop the hard floor surfaces in your home. You never want to have your robot accidentally dragging its wet or dirty mop pad right across your carpets or your rugs. And so what iRobot has brought to market, we brought this out first with our, our Combo J7 Plus robot uh, uh, last year, and now we've got the Combo J9 Plus uh, coming alongside it, is we call it an auto-retract mopping system or ARM. And that ARM-based design, I sometimes liken it actually to a uh, convertible roof on a vehicle, if you want to think about it that way. And it's actually a mopping pad that resides on the top of the robot when it's not in use. It's resting in a secure pad plate. 
And then when the robot detects that I am now on a hard floor surface where I should be mopping at, at the same time that I'm vacuuming, it's going to automatically deploy that auto retract mopping pad with a couple of metal arms, bring it down to the bottom of the robot now. And now it's in a mode where it will be both vacuuming and mopping at the same time. And again, the beauty of this is it's all happening automatically. So as the robot encounters, say a transition in your home from a hard floor surface to a carpet or rug, you're going to see that auto retracting mopping arm just very smoothly come up and down. And it's, it's essentially guaranteeing that when the robot is running across your carpets and rugs, it's never going to get that mopping pad anywhere close to them. Just for the listeners, just so they understand how this works. Um, so the vacuuming part, the dirt, it's going into the robot. And then when it gets back to the base station, it's got the automatic dirt disposal system. Correct? Yeah. And that, that, goes that is in, correct. And that goes into an old-fashioned vacuum bag, uh, which um, you know can last a, a long time. How does the, the mopping part work, the water? Like, where do you got to refill that and, you know, dump it and stuff? Sure. So as part of our new Combo J9 Plus product, um, one of the major new innovations there is we're going to be putting out a new uh, clean base design. Clean base is our term for the dock that the robot is going to be docking into. And so historically, you've seen a lot of docks in the market. You know, they do provide that automatic dirt disposal capability. It is a, uh, it is a bag-based approach, as you note. Um, and the re reason for that is you can actually get a much greater density of dry dust, dirt, and debris packed into that bag. So with one of those bags, you can actually get up to two months of hands-free vacuuming capabilities, right? And when you're ready to dispose of that bag, um, it's an incredibly hygienic process. You pop it out. As you pop it out, the bag itself will, will seal. There's no clouds of dust or germs or anything to worry about, you know, as you're trying to dump it out. And then you pop in a new bag, you're ready to go. But with the Combo J9 Plus, we're now also adding the capability to refill the water tank of the robot. So we actually have a three liter water tank at the top of the dock, and it's going to be holding either clean water or mopping solution, depending on which you prefer to use in your home. And the notion here is that as the robot finishes its mission, it is going to dock back with the docking station and it will automatically, as it needs to, um, it's going to evacuate its dry debris dirt and dust and debris. You're going to hear that happen at the end of every mission uh, completion. And then when the ro when the water tank on the robot starts to get low, uh, it will automatically be able to refill itself from the tank on this onboard dock. And so the net experience is you can basically get one full month of water tank refill capability and then two full months of dry debris removal capability. So you put those two together and it's a really nice, simple, hygienic, uh, hands-free cleaning solution. That uh, was Warren Fernandez from iRobot talking about the new uh, Roomba vacuums and vacuum mops. Uh, again, thank you for joining us, Warren. Thank you very much, Mike. Again, appreciate it. Have a great day. That's all the time we have left for Get Connected. want to thank all the folks that helped put the show together. Don't forget to visit our website, www.getconnectedmedia.com. We will see you again next time.